0: things are in his head. He said it himself. He said, he said, I'm not motivated. I'm pissed off. Well, is is that good? I mean, if you change one thing, you can expect a different outcome. If you put peanut butter in the cookies instead of chocolate chips, just that one change, but we're not going to call them chocolate chip cookies. You are now something very different. What's happening, guys? Happy Thursday. Thursday and thank you for joining. Another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, I'm recording the podcast today because I'm out in Vegas for the fight. So I figured I'm going to give you all a little Christmas gift by getting this UFC 296 preview out a day early. You're welcome for that, by the way. And coming up, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of official predictions. But before that, I want to begin with a story that's been dominating the headlines the past few weeks. Ian Gary put out a little promo piece. I thought it was very well done. I thought he represented himself very well, and I thought that he showed a strength. There's going to be a very hard time getting Ian off this topic, having that be what surround him. Like uh, It's just one of the things with an athlete where, where you live in this this very bizarre bubble, the average person on the street, even somebody that might know who Ian Gary is or understand what the welterweight division stands for, meaning 170 pounds, or understand the significance of being in the top 10 or being a main card fighter or being undefeated, like a person that might understand all those things is going to have the foggiest idea what a wag is or that there's a book on Amazon. I mean, that's just the reality. But you don't know that when you're Ian, right? You're so you're so close to it in your social media. It's, it, it becomes your world. It's very hard to stand back. I mean, it's a massive mental skill and exercise. It will only come with time. So Ian did a very good job within this piece to be strong and to demonstrate a A strength. There is something that I continually do find interesting, maybe as far as to say fascinating about Ian Gary, which is the confidence that he sells and the confidence that he exudes and the confidence that he he wants to have juxtaposed with the fact that he is not very confident. Like when I watch Ian Gary, I see a very special fighter. I see a very special talent. Like if there's anybody in the UFC, there's a few things that go in to hitting that guy in front of you. But one of the massive ones that separate the greats from the rest, the contenders from the pretenders, is your ability to faint, your ability to distract and set that opponent up just for a millisecond, boom, boom, to freeze him in place. And I would argue for you that Ian Gary has the best feints in our entire sport right now on his feet. Big compliment. But when I watch him, he is wildly confident. and He will take on anybody, and he doesn't care if it changes. I mean, Neil Magny, that, that's a tall order right there. Jeff Neal before Neil Magny, that's tall orders. He didn't blink. Vincenzo Luque, those are tall orders. He doesn't flinch. So I'm looking at a guy who sells confidence, but he really appears to have confidence. But when I juxtapose that about, uh, against him tattooing 15 on his arm when he broke into the top 15, that was a surprise for me. 15 is a ridiculously low number. I don't know why we rank them to 15. I have the foggiest idea. The NCAA will rank them all the way to 25. They'll put down the top 25 football programs in the country, which is isolated just to division one. Like it's this really weird thing where 25 is not even remotely an impressive number. But because they started printing it, you could be a coach and come in and go, look, we're number 22 right here. Take that to your AD and get a bonus check. I don't want to beg on the guys that are proud to be in the top 15, but when you have an undefeated young fighter who's been as dominant as Ian Gary, not only is he undefeated, that hasn't remotely been questioned. I would just, I would just think that he'd be expecting that number one right there and that he would have left the five off. I'm just sharing for you, right? Like I don't want to make too big a deal about it, but he was so excited. It was fun to see. It was fun to see that little boy excitement, that little boy that a little glimmer in his eye and a dream when he started out down this road and now look how far he is. So it is important, in my opinion, that he continues to sell that confidence no matter how loud or brash he's got to be and no matter how many people he's got to punch at at the same time as they're punching back at him. He needs to show the ability that he can take it. And I felt from this one promo piece that he did a very good job. But I have asked you guys, and you guys are the smartest ones in the market. Where is Ian Gary training? And there's no wrong answer to this. I would just like the answer to this. I mean, I remember when COVID hit, Max Holloway made leaps. Did you see Holloway versus Cater by example? Max Holloway got better in COVID. And it turned out that he was training himself in his garage. So, when I tell you that there's not a wrong answer, I don't care if that's Ian Gary's. He's disciplined. He knows what it's going to take. He could maybe bring in guys in. He's at that age where you don't have to do everything right. You, you, you get yourself down to, to the weight class. A byproduct of getting to the weight class is that you're going to be sharp, you're going to be fast, you're going to be fit. So if he he had to go spend five weeks in his garage, like, I I don't have a problem with that. I'm just asking, and I've been very surprised that I haven't been given an answer. I mean, we're, we're told by people that Ian Gary takes a camera everywhere he goes. So it should be a very easy question of where is he training? And if he brings a camera in, there's not like a level of secrecy which means the other guys could pop a camera out, snap a photo, get in a selfie, do a one-on-one, put it out for their own little careers and their social media followers, right? I mean, it's just one of those situations, and I do find it surprising that that has not happened. And again, I'm going back to this one little promo piece that Ian Gary made, edited, and put out on his own, but I thought it was very well done. And he was all sweaty in the piece. And you could hear like the sounds of a gym, like ding, 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 the ringing of the... But you, you, could, you could tell that he was in a public forum. He was sitting on a ledge which had a window pane and a view outside. There's not very many gyms that are several stories up and that provide window panes and a view. I mean, it looked like a very beautiful facility. I just don't know where it is. And there's just, there's just something about that with how hard and difficult it is to keep a secret. Somebody is cornering him. Somebody is traveling to Las Vegas right now to be in his corner, and I'm just asking who that is. Ian Gary made a comment that he's worried about the safety of his family. He's worried about bringing them to America for the the safety of of the family. Now, all of these things exist, all of these whatever you want to call drama problems for Ian Gary, they exist online which might come as a surprise, but online is not limited to the confines of the United States of America. Just so you know, like wherever you are and in whatever country you're in, those comments and pressures and observers are equal. But moreover, it's not as though the wife or the kid is gonna help you on fight week. They, they, they're not gonna be an attraction, but they just might be a distraction. So if you're worried about it, it would seem that you wouldn't bring them. But that doesn't seem to be the case somebody in that family isn't going to miss out on a red carpet or a camera or a media opportunity. Colby, Leon. Guys, there was so much on the line in this fight. This is very potentially Colby's last fight. All right. I think Colby's going to go out there and win. But he, he either is going to win or he is not going to win. There's not like a third option. There's not like five things we have to look at. He's either going to win or he's not going to win. You ever meet guys like this that are some kind of an expert in the stock market? Like they went to college and they got the nice suit and they want you to come. They want to sit you down and take you to lunch and explain four okays one day. They want to do what a Roth IRA is and what a contribution. So you ever meet these guys? At some point, just stop one of those pricks and tell them. The stock price can either go up or it can go down, okay? There's not a third option. And you didn't need all of this schooling and this fancy suit and this meeting with me. You didn't need any of those things. You have a price. It either goes up or it does not go up. But it's a very relevant situation because when I talk about Colby, I don't like to talk about it in the vein that he could lose. I do not think that he will. But I will tell you, If he doesn't win, (laughs) or he does win, those are the only two ways to look at it. So, one thing about Covington is he wants to be champion. And he does not want anything else. If you were to go back to his college days, he wanted to be the NCAA champion. He did not want to be an All-American. He was an All-American. That's something very wonderful. But he was one of the few All-Americans that did not celebrate being an All-American. And it's not what he wanted. So, when he comes over to MMA, he's got one pursuit And my large point of telling you that is there's not a situation where he returns to a title fight unless he's the one bringing the title. So if that was the spot and if title matches was no longer a potential, would he continue on? Would he continue on fighting and the journey and and grinding these matches out? I don't know that that's something he's interested in. I mean, I'll just share that with you. So... When you talk about this could be Colby's last fight, that's real. That's a real stake that is potentially here. Now, when you go look at Leon, there is not a scenario where anyone is going to try to get Leon back into a main event. Like here, let's just use the Colby fight, for example. If Colby beats Leon, there is no chance that they, that they rematch Colby and Leon, when Leon got rematched with Kamaru Usman, it wasn't to shine up Leon and make him look really good. It was to get the belt back to Kamaru Usman. I just, just by example, like, uh, the rematch is not going to happen. And Leon does not have the skills that are required in a post-fight interview to get a rematch. So, now he goes back in a very long list in a pecking order. I mean, if he is to follow the trajectory that he set for himself, which was eight fights in a row, without a loss, if he is just to follow the own path that he laid out once before, that'll eat up the lifetime of a career, and he's just not going to return to the spot. So I'm, I'm just speaking to the idea that, I mean, this in many ways could be a retirement match, in many ways. Neither guy is speaking like that, but but there does appear to be a lot on the line here. And you know, so many times you stare at a mountain, right? You got to climb this thing. You stare at the mountain from the bottom and, and you go, yeah, let's get started. This is what i dreamed of. And so many times you look, oh man, that mountain's just too big. It's just too big for the time that I have or for the energy that I have or for the motivation or the moral or however many bullets I got left in the chamber. And it's one of these situations where if Leon had to look at that deck and realize, I've already done this once, but I had to, it took me eight tries All that had to go perfectly. It it is a situation where he might think twice. He hasn't been Mr. Active and busy and begging to, to get in there. He sure is good at his skills. But there was always some kind of a fancy and beautiful prize. Even if it was Blal, that was a main event on ESPN. Even if it was against Shamaya, the fight that didn't happen, but he signed for it, it was told it would be a number one contenders match. Even if it was against Diaz, that was the people's main event of a live pay-per-view. I mean, there was a lot on his fights. They're very big deals. Head kick, turn around the world, took him to his hometown, let him do that in front of his friends. Now you bring him to the fight capital of the world, you put him in there with... The evil villain coming to I mean, there's just a lot on it that the next ones wouldn't have. Does he want to dig that deep? I, I can't tell you that he doesn't. I will just tell you that it's going to be a question. It's the same with Colby. I'm not telling you if Colby loses, he's never going to fight again. He's going to retire. But I'm telling you, he will consider it. It will be looked at. And while I, I don't surmise for you guys or attempt to feed you the idea that this is the most sought-after welterweight fight of all time, it's It's not. It's not the one you guys have been clamoring and dying and and wanting to see. It's not those things. But as far as the stakes in terms of the fall and the repercussions of the fall of the loser, I can't really think of a fight that's got bigger stakes. I can't think of a fight that's got a more important need for positive outcome than Leon versus Colton. Joe Rogan versus Wesley Snipes. Guys, this goes back to 2005. I debuted in 2005 with the beautiful Mohegan Sun, Opposite Babalu. And Joe Rogan had actually addressed it that night. That's why I know the year that this goes back to. Joe Rogan actually addressed it that night, and he came to you, straight to the people, and he said, guys, please... Write Wesley Snipes. Please find him. Please tell Wesley Snipes to contact the UFC and to sign the contract so that I can fight him. So we didn't really hear much after that. And then Wesley went through some stuff. Was that the tax evasion? I think he even did a little bit of time. Was that all after that? Is that the timeline on that? Or is it that he was coming out of that and needed a paycheck, right? I mean, it, w- it was some type of a thing where there could have been a real potential to do that match. But. I will share for you, I never knew how serious that potential was. And to remember back to 2005 is a little bit difficult. Like, I remember when they brought Tank back. Who'd they put Tank with? Was it was it Frank Mir? I want to say Tank went and fought Cabbage Carrera, but that, that might have been... Let's just start the whole thing over. You ready? Joe Rogan, Wesley Snipes. You know, guys, this goes back to 2005. I actually remember this clearly. I debuted in 2005, and that night, Joe on the mic had addressed this issue. And social media wasn't a thing, guys. I'm not 100% sure that MySpace was out yet. I think it was, but I'm not 100% sure. Twitter wasn't even a word we'd heard. Instagram wasn't even a word that we heard. So the reason I share that with you, getting a hold of somebody and getting a message and promoting the way that you did things back then was very different. So when Joe Rogan said over the microphone to you guys, hey, tell Wesley Snipes, sign the contract so I can fight him in the octagon. It largely went in one year and out the next, and if, if, West, if Wesley wanted to ignore that as though there was no conversations, or he wanted to address it as though, yeah, we're deep in conversation, it would have been fully up to Wesley, and his way to do that would have been more sophisticated. He had that capability, but not everybody did, right? Not, right now, we could all just grab our, our smartphone and do it. It wasn't like that then. It's one of the reasons that I remember it when Joe Rogan made the comment. I never knew how serious they were. And... Joe Rogan is going to be a tough night out for anybody. Whether you like that or you don't like that, that is a hard fight. I mean, it's just going to be a pain in the ass. He's strong. He follows the sport. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He used to compete in taekwondo. He's got a black belt in taekwondo, whatever that means, but he's got one. So I just share that Back then when Joe was so hungry, Joe was definitely an outsider looking at him. He was a true fan, but then he was privately in the gyms and he was privately training. And his way to participate just happened to be behind a microphone. But that's not where he wanted to be. He wanted to be in there. But if he said he's going to be in there, now he's disrespecting the fighters and the athletes. And it was one of these things and it put him in a tough spot. So when the Wesley, Wesley Snipes presented itself, Joe was not viewed as a badass. Wesley was. Joe did not go out and tell people of his martial arts love or accomplishments. Wesley did. So it it was one of these things where, I'd have loved to have seen the match. I mean, the bottom line is I wish that we had that match. I wish that that would have happened. I don't know specifically what Wesley has done. I know he doesn't have groundwork, but I don't know specifically what he has done. In terms of, did he have a competitive background or did he just go work on this in a studio somewhere? Does he actually mean the things he says, like Jay White, for example? Or is he just a performer and he's playing a part? I don't know. But Joe brought this up. And he brought it up just a few days ago. And he said that Wesley was difficult. That it looked like it was going to happen. Joe thought it was going to happen. They had, like, verbal somewhere. Wesley said, I want 50-50. And I don't know what 50-50 is. If this was a boxing match, I could tell you what that means. That's not an expression we use in MMA, so I don't I, I don't fully know. But th- what Joe said is Wesley won 50-50, and then Wesley won a 60-40. Now, what he's talking about is a split. He's talking about his cut. But his split and his cut of what? I don't know. I fought on the card that night. Andre Orlovsky was the main event heavyweight champion of the world. He got 18 to show and 18 to win over Paul Buntello. And pay-per-view points were not yet issued to MMA fighters. That didn't come along until slightly later. So I don't know what, I don't know 50-50 of what or 60-40 of what. I I don't know, but I do know Joe's point, which is I don't care. I don't care what the percentage is or even if there isn't. I want to compete with Wesley Snipes in the UFC. I I just think it's interesting. I mean, I just, I got to tell you, I think that that's interesting. And the fact that Joe Rogan is still bringing that up today, I've yet to hear Snipes speak on that. And that's just usually not how the game is played. If you have a guy that's a badass, even if he's pretending to be a badass, he will respond when badass things get brought up to talk about. And I never heard Snipes do that. And I would have liked to have seen it. And I don't know that it would have been this great match for 15 minutes or something along these lines. An exhibition of 3-3-3 might have been more appropriate, but that's not how the game was going to be played, and it was going to be a 15-minute match. And Joe is strong, and Joe is powerful on his feet. He's got these spin kicks. He's got some other stuff he does well. He understands the ground very good, but if you don't have the wrestling, that doesn't matter. You're not on the ground. People love to say 80% of fights start on the ground. Well, 100% of them start standing up. You got to be able to get the guy there. And I just think it's compelling. I just think like it's a, a compelling thing. Ultimately that is of course going to come down. Like skill in all of that is only a couple of minutes. We, we sell you guys the idea of skill or oh I got these secrets that my father taught me. It, it, it's not true after the first round. Now you're in a tough guy contest. Who wants some more? Who's in better shape? Who's gonna grind this out? Both of us want to be done. Both of us would rather quit and, and not be, but we are here. Which one of us is gonna stay here? And if you came down to a game of condition, I don't care if it snipes today or snipes in 2005, Joe Rogan would have ran right over it. special is going down at UFC 296 and DraftKings Sportsbook is helping you come out on top in this epic bout between Colby Covington and Leon Edwards. Now guys, full disclosure, I've known Colby since he's 11 years old. The place I'm sitting right now, Colby grew up exactly 90 minutes from here. And Colby is a slight underdog. I cannot remember the time Colby Covington was in a fight when he was an underdog. That's where DraftKings has him right now. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it right now, guys, but use the promo code CHAIL. What that's going to do is get all new customers $150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5. You bet just $5 to activate the account with the promo code CHAIL at DraftKings. You're going to get $150 instantly. Now, DraftKings is the official sports betting partner of UFC, and I want you to remember to use the code CHAIL, the crown, is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877 8 hope or text hope to number 467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21, plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com mma for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. My official prediction, Bryce Mitchell versus Josh Emmett. Now, I got to tell you, I don't remember a time I covered an undercard fight. But these are not undercard fighters. These are main event fighters who are now on an undercard. But that right there is interesting to me. How is a guy going to respond to that? I do not believe it will bother either one of them. I don't believe Bryce Mitchell ever got in this sport looking for a whole bunch of money or a whole bunch of fame. I don't really think that it's going to affect him in the least. And Josh Emmett has never been a guy to go out there and make demands. He has never shined his own wheels. Josh Emmett has looked so good. Oh, my goodness. Josh Emmett has looked so good. What a career he's had. Dog tough surprises you. He's got more upsets. That guy was the underdog more times from 2020 until now and one than anybody else I can think of. But he never made any demands. In fact, Josh Emmett even upset Volkanovsky one time because he did not call Volk out strong enough. You guys might remember that. Josh Emmett fights, becomes the number one contender, like this gets stated, but it doesn't get signed and co-signed and get set official, it was like stated. The problem was one week later, Rodriguez was fighting Ortega. To build that fight had to have the idea and the notion that it could be a number one contender's bout. All right, Rodriguez goes out there. He looks incredible. First round finish. He's a number one contender. Who's the number one contender? Which one of them is the number one contender? Well, Rodriguez is in front of the world. And just to remind you about that fight, it happened to be on ABC. There's more eyeballs on this fight than any modern time UFC event. And if Rodriguez captures those people on that microphone in this moment, it's game, set, match, and even Josh Emmett knows this. Rodriguez did no such thing. He did nothing that was compelling or interesting to set up a match between he and Volkanovski in the slightest. And it was to the point that Volkanovsky, and the whole reason I even remember this story, or that I find it interesting enough to repeat it to you guys, is because Volkanovski saw this happen He's sitting there watching the fight, expecting Rodriguez to call him out. Rodriguez didn't do it. Josh Emmett was in the building that night. You guys might remember, remember that. That was ticket gate. Remember when Josh Emmett came in? He, he and uh, his coach, Uriah Faber, was with him. And, but they didn't have seats. So he, he who was named the number one contender who had won one week before in a main event, all of a sudden he's up in the stands. I mean, but do you remember that? This was all that same night. Was that an accident? Was that an oversight? Or was that writing on the wall? And they didn't want to capture him on camera if you knew that you were going to give the opportunity to Rodriguez if he was to get a win, of which he did. It's, it's just one of these situations where Volk comes out and says, you know what, neither one of you have done a good job of calling me out. Neither one of you have been compelling. Neither one of you is arg- even arguing or suggesting that you have done more and you're more deserving than the other. And I watch this, I follow the show, I'm not a Sandhagen. I know it was said that Emmett's number one contender. I know one week later it was said that Rodriguez is number one contender, which means you two have to go after it in the media to win the hearts and minds and prove that you want the job. Neither one of you have done that at all, so just go fight each other. And that right there might be the, the most trash that Volk has ever talked, and he wasn't even trying to talk trash. He was just saying what he observed, and you know what? That's what they did. They ended up just putting Rodriguez and Emmett, had them go fight each other. But he's so good. Josh Emmett is so good. So he goes from a title fight. I don't care if you put interim in front of it. That's your guys' deal. World title fight. And you go from that to an undercard. It's meaningful. It's impactful for most. Josh Emmett has never appeared to be one of those guys. And those guys are very few. I mean, I'll use Benny DeRouche just by example. Benny has never made big demands for himself. Benny stubbed his toe over the weekend, which represents only the second time he stubbed his toe in five years, but he's a little hard on himself. really understands what's going on, doesn't feel he's in a position to call somebody out, doesn't make that big of a difference to him anyway. Whoever the UFC calls is who he wants to fight. Like, those are things that you say, but very few guys actually mean them. I, I think... I think Josh Emmett, I've never got to know Josh very well, even at a distance. I've never got to know him very well because he doesn't come out and do very much. I just, I don't believe that it's going to bother him. And I feel as though Josh Emmett is one of those guys, like, like, you guys are about to see your best version of Josh Emmett. Not maybe, for sure, a 15-minute atmosphere for a gentleman and so many people think, well, he's down in the dumps, right? It's like a market. And you get down a little bit. It, there's a truth to that. And we don't know how a guy's going to respond. There's a truth to that. But when you prepare and when you walk into a potentially 25-minute situation and then you find yourself in a 15-minute situation, it's, just, it's one of those things where you're going to see the best Josh Emmett Bryce Mitchell specifically does his best work against fighters that are stronger than him. And for whatever reason, Dan Henderson was the same way. The bigger the guy and the stronger the guy, the better Dan could do. It, it was just one of the, but I bring that to you because Josh Emmett is the strongest opponent that Bryce has ever taken off, but that, that kind of se- seems to feed right into his wheelhouse. That is the fight that I am most interested on that hasn't been discussed yet. If I was to look at any fight, not on main card, which has been hyped and and put in front of us. Emmett and Mitchell. Mitchell's taking it on short notice, but he is a cardio machine. Mitchell won his last fight against Dan Ige, by the way, but apologized for the performance because he's like his stomach, a little illness that was bothering him. Still found a way to get victory. I mean, these these are two really impactful guys. It's a a treat that you're going to be able to watch them on an undercard. For me, that's the fight to watch. I think there is something to be said for momentum. I think we got a close fight. I'm going to go with Bryce Mitchell. I'm going to put the curse on Bryce Mitchell, but that's the fight no one's talking about. Rachmanov versus Wonder Boy. Look, if, there, if there's a fight on the main card that's a little bit off the radar, it's this one and the misconception of this fight to me is a bigger talking point than the fight itself or the ranking or the potential consequences for both athletes. There is no fight on the main card that has the consequences of this one. Wonder Boy is on a path and a journey to a championship fight and he has had a meaningful argument that dates all the way back to the night that Gilbert Burns fought Kamar Usman. And Wonderboy came out on Twitter, and it it wasn't an aggressive call-out, but he did make a very fair point where he said, well, I'm the only guy in the top five that hasn't had a chance at Kamar Usman yet, so I guess I'm next. And he did make a good point. He, He really did. And I share with you whether you believe he can get that fight or not right, getting a title fight, there's, there's a lot to it, right? There's a lot of twists and turns. Whether you believe he can get that or not, he's at least let us know what he wants. He at least lets us know his mindset. He at least has let us know at 39 years young what it is that gets him up and moves him forward. Now, I say that because if he suffers a defeat to Rachmaninoff, the discussion of him finding himself in a title fight will end forever. That's a big consequence. That is a massive consequence. But now, let's look at Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff is in for the trickiest fight of his life. You don't get two cracks at Wonderboy. You don't have somebody in the gym that fights like Wonderboy. You don't have somebody you can pay and bring in that will simulate and behave like Wonderboy. There's only one of him. He is a colossal pain in the ass to have to fight. He will come out with his hands down, but he'll turn sideways and there'll be such distance you can't do anything even though you're looking at this target go, man, I got his head, I got his body. I just need him to come in about five more inches. Then when he comes in, he'll throw a kick right in your teeth. Like, you, okay, great. But when I talk about misconceptions within this fight, there is a misconception that Rachmanov can't go on his feet with him. Now that's going to be tricky and that's not going to be fun for anybody, but Rachmanov is a little bit better on his feet than you guys give him credit for. There is also a misconception that Wonderboy can't take care of himself on the ground. And before, before we get to the X's and O's of passing guard and how Wonder well Wonderboy can scramble, there's an in-between. And that in-between is known as wrestling. And wrestling used to be the most dominant art in MMA. And if you did not have ref, uh, to quote Tank Abbott, who was the first to say it, it, is the prerequisite to fighting. If you do not know wrestling, you do not know fighting. But we have champions right now that have never wrestled. Israel Asani has never had a wrestling match, for example. Alex Pereira has never had a wrestling match, just for example. Francis Ngannou has never had a wrestling match, just for example. So what used to be the art is now just one element. And the idea that somebody can go out and take Wonder Boy down over and over for 15 minutes, that has never been done before. As Tyron Woodley, as good and decorated as a wrestler as that division has ever had. Tyron Woodley has the same wrestling accomplishments that Colby Covington does, just to put that into perspective for you. And he had 10 rounds to do that to Wonder Boy, and it, it was a difficult thing to do. I'm just, this, this is a very different fight than so many expect. When I go over to DraftKings and I see the spread on this, th- this spread was over. At one point, it was over 5-1 to against Wonderboy. It's closed. It's tighter than that now, but it, it is still one of the biggest gaps on the main card. And I do understand the appreciation that you're attempting to show for rockmanov I, I don't disagree with it. But the same way that rockmanov can do a little better on his feet than you're giving him credit for, Wonderboy can do a lot better on the ground than you're giving him credit for and he's exponentially more difficult to get there. So if you do favor Wonderboy on the feet, it's very hard to see how you come to a 5 to 1 spread and the consequences here really are quite massive. Wonderboy had done an interview somewhat recently. And he talked about, I don't want to fight a wrestler. I don't want to fight a wrestling heavy guy. I want to fight more of a guy. He was kind of open and honest and p- perhaps too open and too honest, perhaps. But it's not as though he doesn't know how to deal with that style. It's just not the style that he was preferring to fight, at least at the time that he gave that interview. There wasn't a tip of the hat. and There wasn't a sign. Wonder Boy had uh, choices. Wonderboy Boy had options. He went with Rachmaninoff. Interesting fight. It's a big fight. I lean towards Rachmaninoff. You want an official prediction? I lean towards Rachmaninoff. A five-to-one spread, which represents, I'm absolutely certain. Oh, and by the way, it's going to be dominant. Oh, and by the way, more likely than not, it's going to be a finish, man. I don't agree with any of those things. Wonder Boy is tricky. He's really good. He's going in a fight with potentially the top guy. You tell me somebody else that's 16-0 and with all finishes and isn't the top guy. He's potentially taking on the top guy, and I'm telling you, he can beat him. Rachmaninoff has ways to beat him, too but it's a little bit of a confusing match. My final analysis, I'll go with Rachmaninoff, but I do believe that the finish streak comes to an end. Luke versus Gary, my official prediction. Guys, I gotta go Luke. I'm not strong on it, I'm really not. I, I got a couple of problems with Gary. First off, Gary is better than he thinks he is. Like Gary really doesn't quite know how, how good he is. He comes off as very brash, but inside he's, he's a little bit insecure, I mean, about his own fighting. When he broke into the top 15 and went and got a tattoo that said 15, they did an interview, they had a camera on him as he did, I mean, he was so joyful and he was so, so prideful. It, but it was to the point that it was a surprise, it was an accomplishment. I do know people that have tattooed numbers on themselves before. But it was it was always uniquely the exact same thing, which is it was whatever year they were in the Olympics. I know, guys, in '92, 2004 Summer Games. You know, I only bring that because when he put a 15 on him, he was genuinely like, "Man, this 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 might be the height of it. Let's let's write it down, mark it forever. I want to be able to tell my grandkids about this." He and I remember seeing it, going, "Hey, Gary, you're a lot better than this. You shouldn't even be 15. The day they put you at 15, they should have put you at nine. These people are incompetent. Like, what what are you doing?" What are you doing putting the 15 on yourself? But I bring it to you because he's better than he knows he is. That's true. And the last time, in case you guys are wondering, the last time that Gary and Luke, who were teammates, who were in the same room every day, but the last time they sparred with one another had been over a year. And I know that some of you have been asking that. So Luke actually cleared that up for us all in an interview that came out in the evening hours last night. So we liked each other. We visited. We didn't hang out outside the gym. But we're very nice to each other in the gym. I thought he was a very good teammate. And I hope that he comes back when all of this is over. So no sour grapes there. No little extra motivation. I would like to know, from a personal standpoint, why Gary left. If they haven't trained together in over a year why they could not continue to prepare in the same room. I just personally would be curious to that. I will tell you there has never been a time in history where we found a situation like this and the guy that left won. Never had a time in history where the guy that left was expected to win. The team and the coaches and everybody that got together and made their choice, which was a business choice, picked the right horse which is very easy to do when you have firsthand evidence. Now, nobody's ever said that, but I can assure you as, fo- as clearly as night follows day, even if it was a year ago, the winner of those sparring rounds was Luke. A. So in that regard, I just got to share for you, I think that we're going to have an upset. And the one problem with Luke a is he's inconsistent. I have seen nights where Luque was the best fighter in the world. I have seen a number of those nights. And I've seen some other nights where he came in with the silver medal and should have won, even if it was to squeak out a victory. He just, he, he's not perfectly consistent. But if Luque does go out there and he brings the right Luque with him, and he come in here calm and come in here with the right mindset, which I feel him trying to create, Luque apparently doesn't do well with animosity, because he's, he's done everything he can to make sure there is no animosity. Luque has not historically done great in main events and high-pressured bouts. This one is going to jerk the curtain at the beginning of the night, top of the show. Like, there's just a lot of things about this match. Five-round fights aren't Luke's favorite, this is scheduled for free. Like, there's just a lot of things where I really do think a very good Luke, a very good version of Luque is going to show up, and a very good version of Luke can go with any man on earth. And you juxtapose that against Gary, where I don't know where he's been training. I don't know how he's been training. Things are in his head. He said it himself. He said, he said, I'm not motivated. I'm pissed off. Well, is is that good? Right? I mean, if you change one thing, you can expect a different outcome. If you put peanut butter in the cookies instead of chocolate chips, just that one change, but we're not going to call them chocolate chip cookies. You're now something very different. And I don't know what a pissed off Ian Gary looks like. I don't know if that's a good thing for performance. I don't know if that locks him up, freezes him up. I I don't know. I haven't seen it before. It, it, it's unique in its experiment. It would be a big deal if Gary lost. Like Gary's path and trajectory is just. It says you you look at it like a stock market. It is straight up. Lucas might have higher highs, but he's also had lower lows, and he's had some plateaus in there. Like 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 the their charts look very different. DraftKings has Gary as a three and a half to one favorite. I did a poll on YouTube. It was damn near 50-50. It was was very close. And you guys went with Luque. And you guys are the same ones that place the money and go over to DraftKings. So I'm just kind of wondering how that's happened. I think we have a few betters that place their bet that would like to run that one back. I think that the unknown is changing a lot of people's minds. But The biggest deal with that unknown changing minds, the biggest deal with some of the stresses and outside pressures that Gary is facing is every time you talk about that and every time you reasonably conclude that that's going to reduce a Gary, you're now putting more pressure on Luque and that's not where he does his finest work. So you, you got a little bit, right? you got a little bit of a bypass that you've got to deal with, but my final analysis, and I don't know if I would have said it two weeks ago, I think I'm also impacted by the changes. I think I am impacted by the fact that since Gary was asked to leave Leon's gym in England, not only do I not know what Jimmy's training with, not only do I not know who his coaches are, I don't even know what country he's training in. I'm taking Luque. over on my YouTube channel, I just asked you, who do you think is going to win between Colby and Leon? That's all I asked. It went 51-49 in favor of Colby. Now, if you juxtapose suppose that with DraftKings, that's basically what DraftKings has. it, They just have it the other way. Leon is officially the favorite, but it's a plus 120 to, to, to a minus 110. That's this very second. And while that's been changing all week, I mean, that's as close to dead even as we've seen in 2023. That's as 12, close to dead even as a person can speak. So my official prediction is Colby, but how do we get there? And I listened to one of the more difficult to understand interviews by Kamar Usman that I've ever listened to, but Kamara did break it down the same way that I would look at it, which is Colby has a question mark. He has been out of the ring since his matchup with Masvidal. Masvidal's not only fought since then, he's been to court multiple times since then. He's even retired and started a promotion since then. I mean, this, it's a meaningful amount of time. Somebody told me it was a year and a half. That could be right. I wouldn't argue. I felt that it was closer to two years. I sat in the batter's box for over a year, and I was at that fight live. It's been a long time. And Kumar Usman brings up a very fair point, which is some guys react differently. All guys react differently. Some get better, like Dominic Cruz, and some look like, whoa, where's he been? That layoff was really tough on him. I don't predict that Colby is going to have anything resembling ring rust, just because I know of the activity. I know of the professionalism. I know he hasn't gained a pound. I know when they called in March and said, can you make weight in a week? He said, of course I can make weight in a week. Not most fighters, it would be no. No, I got to go into training camp. I got in shape. I got to do it. Colby's in the gym every day. He was waiting for that phone call to come in. Then he was trying to fight him in July. They tried to fight him in August. They tried to fight him in October. I mean, Colby has been ready for this match, and, and I just think when you know, there's nothing quite like the competition. But when you live that life, it is a very different thing. And what would what would be the date? Right. Every time somebody gets some of the fight, a clock starts, but they don't know how far they can run before that bell goes off. And it lo- largely has to do with your age, but it also has to do with your lifestyle. And guys that live the life that Colby lives, they can go closer to four years of inactivity, of actual competitive inactivity, before you see what you would call ring rust. My bigger question on Leon, and Leon, it turns out, is a hell of a lot better than we all knew. And Even the night of the head kick hurt around the world, Leon getting on top of Kamara and dominating that first round, that was a big surprise. There was other moments just within that fight, which Leon was clearly losing, that were a big surprise. You go, man, this guy's better than we thought. But there was one thing that stood out, and that was the very clear exhaustion. Leon had reached the point of fatigue where he had changed his goals he was no longer trying to win the fight against Kamara the night that he took the belt. He was no longer even trying to win that fight. He was just trying to get to the finish line. So I bring that to you because Colby Covington has the same weapon that Kamar Usman has, which isn't the punctures and the kicks and the college wrestling. It's an ability to weaponize pace and... Leon largely goes into that same category, but there are guys that can be better at what you're good at. And I just believe that Colby's ability to weaponize pace, he's going to put a pressure on Leon and that is going to add up and that is going to matter. Now Colby's got to have his way a few times. He's got to drag him down. That doesn't matter if he's got to hook the fence or he's got to grab his shorts and hope the referee doesn't clean. He's going to drag him down and wear on him. And I think that that's going to start to kick in. One big question I have with Leon, and the reason I tie it to his condition and level of fitness, what happened that delayed this fight? We heard from Colby repeatedly from back in March when Leon shut the book on the Edwards Usman saga. That night was a rare night because that night, Dana White announced what was next. We never hear that at post-fight press conference. You could count it on two hands how many times in 20-plus years Dana's ever announced at the post-fight press conference what's next for his main event winner. Get the same answer of, let's see what happens. But in that case, we knew. And the announcement was made. And it has still been nine months. So... I've always wondered why. What happened there? Was it just playing the venue game, playing the date game, and it didn't line up? Maybe. But I heard from Colby a lot. I did not hear from Leon at all. And I've always wondered was he hurt? Did Leon suffer an injury or an illness somewhere along the way that delayed this? I have no evidence that he did, by the way. I've just always wondered. Because that that would, that would not only sway my opinion. I'm all, I've am i already got Colby, but I, I acknowledge that we're going to have to work here. There's going to be some calories burned. If Leon suffered some kind of an injury, which is what delayed this, which means he was removed from the gym, which means the one piece that he's going to need, which is the absolute condition, which has to be built up. That doesn't come in eight and 10 weeks to get you here about training camps. Come on. This stuff is silly. That would be a very big deal. And you you would not be able to be in the kind of shape where you could just level a playing field and make it 25 minutes with Colby Covington if you did not have an absolute consistency. That's one part that I don't know. I've always wondered. Nobody's asked. Nobody's asked Leon that. It it always surprises me. I see media members that go talk to him. I I don't understand why they wouldn't ask him. It just feels to me like the most obvious question. Hey, champ, why are you only fighting twice in a calendar year when your contract clearly calls for three? I mean, it, it seems like a very fair question. Everybody's contract calls for three. Volkanovski fought three times. That's one champion that fought three times. Adesanya did not, Piara did. Makhlchev, who's said to be the best champion of them all, did not. And if Leon didn't fit this one in within the next two weeks, he would have only fought one time. And it's just one of those situations. Everybody fights three. Why didn't you fight three? Were you offered three? Could you not do three? To me, it seems like a very relevant question. Nobody's asked it. I don't actually know the answer. But my prediction of the pace, my prediction of chaos being a little bit too much, my prediction of American wrestling standing tall once again still is unwavering. My official prediction, we're gonna have a new welterweight champion. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you that the World MMA Awards take place tomorrow night and they will be hosted by me. Catch them at 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPN. And they're also going to be re-aired on December 21st. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, everyone. I'm going to be back on Tuesday to talk about them. Follow me on YouTube if you can't wait quite that long. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.